1: This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of uh, a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And with regard to Chen Lin's newsletter, you do need to have put your name on a waiting list at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. And Chen Lin accepts new subscribers during the first few days of each calendar quarter. In fact, tomorrow will be the last day uh, during this quarter in which Chen uh, will accept new subscribers. So if you're interested in subscribing to Chen's newsletter, I would suggest that you uh, go immediately to miningstocks.com, put your name on a waiting list, and then sign up uh, for the letter. There is room for new subscribers at this point in time. Chen does limit the number of subscribers he takes, but there is uh, room for a few more, uh, as I understand it, uh, going into tomorrow, tomorrow's last day uh, for signing up for this quarter. You do not need to put your name on a waiting list to sign up for my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, go to miningstocks.com to sign up for that letter. I am very excited about the junior mining sector right now. I believe we are very close to the bottom if we have not seen the bottom in the the gold uh, sector. And uh, if anything, I expect the gold shares should be leading the gold bullion up uh, in, in price. And uh, I'm very, very excited about it. And we will be talking Uh, to some more people on today's show who I think are also uh, probably turning very bullish on the uh, junior gold sector right now. Well, I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Caden Resources, Avena Silver and Gold Mines, Columbus Gold Corp., Cornerstone Capital, and Wellgreen Platinum. Next week, I will be speaking to uh, Robert Justra, He's the president and CEO of Columbus Gold. That's one of the sponsors I just named. That's a company that is well on its way, in my view, towards establishing a major gold mining operation in French Guiana. That's in South America. And they're doing that with the help of a major mining company that I think has all of the uh, resources to make it happen. And uh, it, the interesting thing here is that uh, Robert Justra's Columbus Gold has managed to maintain just a whisker under 50% a 50% interest in what should be a fairly good-sized gold production facility coming out of French Guiana. And I'm very bullish on that company. If I'm correct in my bullishness, uh, this $0.40 cent stock should sell at a much higher price than that going forward. Of course, nobody knows for sure what the future holds. But if we are heading into a uh, the next leg up in the gold bull market, I think there's going to be some uh, very bright days ahead for uh, Columbus Gold as well as a lot of the other junior gold mining companies. And if you like silver, another company that you might want to keep your eyes on is Avena Silver and Gold. And either next week or the following week, I expect to be talking to David Wolf and the president and CEO of that company. Uh, Avena Silver and Gold is increasing their silver production and gold production, but primarily a silver producer in Mexico. And they'll be increasing that uh, silver production fairly dramatically over the next couple of years. They also are in the process of acquiring uh, a high-grade underground gold project in British Columbia. So I hope to be speaking to David either next week or the following week uh, for an update on Vino silver and gold. I've titled today's show Preparing for the Worst, Hoping for the Best. At about half past the hour... Uh, John uh, uh, Shimpalya, excuse me, in the pronunciation of Sprott Gold Miners ETF appears for the first time uh, on this show. But he will be with Rick Rule, who has been with us a number of times. Rick is a member of the senior management team of Sprott Inc. in Toronto, and I can't think of any mainstream investment house in North America that have such a good grasp of free market economics as the firm started by Eric Sprott and there are very few more honest advocates of individual freedom and uh, free market capitalism than Rick Rule, a very successful investor who I think understands markets as as well as anybody there is, uh, and certainly a, a, a welcome addition, I think, very, very helpful to the Sprout team, which is already very strong, but with Rick and uh, his expertise, I think, makes this an even better company. But we'll be talking to Rick as well as John Champaglia. Uh, later at about half past the hour, to catch up on that new product. I think a very exciting story, the Sprott Gold Miners ETF. Uh, And Sprott brings with it a tremendous amount of of experience in the gold mining sector, so I think they are well-equipped to do very well with that ETF. Um, So we'll be talking to them at about uh, half past the hour. In just a few minutes, after our first commercial break, I will be talking to the always insightful Alistair McLeod of goldmoney.com. Alistair has written an article this past week titled, uh, A Market Reset Due. In which he notes that the developed world is in deep financial trouble, and as such, he makes a very strong case for why gold will inevitably become the go-to store of value that Mother Nature endowed it to be. Well, we will ask Alistair to explain the logic behind his thesis and also how long he thinks it might take for us to see that next move up uh, in the gold share and for go- uh, in gold, I should say, and for gold uh, to regain its luster. Uh, related to the demise of our financial system is an Anglo-American empire that I believe has run amok. The U.S. spends trillions of dollars uh, to gain territory around the world, to gain influence, to insert its corporate interests. And it does that by killing and maiming many, many people, thousands and thousands of people. And uh, it, it is really, I think, though the mainstream media tries to claim that this is making us safer. I would argue that exactly the opposite is true, that in fact we are become less safe as a result of our, uh, of our overseas endeavors. Well, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, I think, really does a good job of exposing the fallacious arguments that are made by our mainstream press. He'll be coming on. Uh, The second hour, the first half of the second hour of today's show, which you can hear um, exclusively at jtaylormedia.com. That's jtaylormedia.com. Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity uh, will talk, for example, about ISIS. Now, ISIS is an organization that was funded and made possible by the funding of the United States. And now ISIS is one of the biggest threats that we have going against our country it is uh, now threatening to take over Iraq and Syria and possibly even Turkey. So, you know, how how much sense does this make? Um, I think there's some good reason to be very skeptical about the mainstream media and what they're telling us. So I'll ask Daniel to comment on this ISIS threat. Daniel may also have some things to say about the Ukraine and give us an update on what's going on there. Um, as as well, which is very, very important as the winter season approaches. David Jensen is usually with me in the second hour, but he will not be with me today. I do expect to have him back next week, uh, but in the second hour, I will bring you some very important comments from Dr. Robert McHugh, who believes that we are nearing not just a smart, a, a minor market correction, but one over the next few years that he believes will make the 1930s uh, and the recent financial crisis of 2008-2009 looked like child's play. Well, I hope he's wrong. Um, it certainly sounds sensational, um, a sensational claim by Dr. McHugh. But the question is whether or not he is right. Time will tell, of course. But what, are the logic, what is the logic behind McHugh's uh, fears uh, if there is any logic behind them. Uh, well, actually, um, I'll be talking about some of the things that Dr. McHugh has recently passed along to his subscribers. But then on Thursday morning, I'm going to be airing an interview that I conduct with him after the market closes uh, on Wednesday, October 15th. So we'll hear from Dr. McHugh directly uh, and uh, the logic behind his claims that we are in for some really difficult times going forward. Um, you know, if, uh, if, if you'd rather not think along those lines, we certainly, uh, you, you're certainly free to put your head in the sand and not to question uh, or to even consider the ideas of, of Dr. McHugh and other people you hear on this show. I rather think that most of you out there, though, uh, are not inclined to do so or you wouldn't be listening to this show in the first place. Otherwise, you could listen to the Happy Talk on CNBC and the mainstream media. Uh, but uh, we, we do um, have a lot to talk about today, so uh, I think we're going to go to our first commercial break right now. And when we come back, uh, I expect to have Alistair McLeod with me. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here.
3: Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
1: Production of platinum and palladium is heavily concentrated in South Africa and Russia. Rising costs, labor strife, and ever more challenging underground mining conditions have led to serious and ongoing supply deficits. New sources of PGMs from stable regions are needed to meet the increasing global demand. Wellgreen Platinum's PGM Nickel Project in Canada's Yukon hosts one of the world's largest concentrations of platinum, palladium, and nickel. Excellent management, favorable jurisdiction, strong supply and demand fundamentals, and near-term catalysts. Visit wellgreenplatinum.com to learn more.
0: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network.
1: You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome back to turning hard Times into good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod, uh, talking to me from uh, his home in England. Alistair as I say has been on this show a number of times before. Um, he is a very experienced financial analyst and stockbroker uh, and uh, really understands I think money as well as anybody and he is a senior fellow at Gold Money Foundation and his weekly articles, uh, are written for goldmoney.com. Uh, and uh, I would urge you to go to goldmoney.com to catch up with what Alistair has to say and several other people, including uh, proprietor James Turk, who's, uh, who writes frequently there. Uh, welcome, Alistair. It's really good to have you with me again. That's my pleasure, Jay. Always good to talk to you. Now, you're t- uh, it's late in your evening or early in your evening. I guess we're looking at uh, what is about 7 o'clock over there or 8 o'clock?
4: It's uh, about quarter past 8. Not too bad. Yeah.
2: All right. Okay. Well, anyway, I I really am interested in an article that you wrote uh, on October 10th and Friday, a market reset due. You made the statement that the developed world is now in deep financial trouble. And I suppose many, if not most, of the listeners of this show are in agreement with that. But can you uh, perhaps provide some evidence to support that statement?
4: Yes. I'm not looking at the markets as such. Um, There are lots and lots of people getting worried about markets. I'm uh-huh. just looking at, what go, at what's going on in uh, various economies. Uh-huh. Uh, we have had, since the Lehman crisis, uh, money printing, expanding the, 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 the quantity of money, admittedly mostly to offset the contraction of bank credit. But um, the point is that if you start uh, expanding the quantity of money, you are actually imposing a stealth tax on uh, ordinary people. Um, The people who benefit from this are the people who receive this money first, who are the bankers. And it's no accident that we've seen that the banks have been making a lot of money. Admittedly, they've paid a lot of it away in fines, but they are making a lot of money. And guess who's paying for it? It's the ordinary sucker, if you like, in in, in Main Street. And uh, that's happening everywhere. Uh, If you really want to see how this effect really works, just look at Abenomics in Japan. Mm-hmm. um and uh, look look at um uh, look at europe whereas the, the problem is slightly different there because what's happening in europe is that the governments are refusing to cut their deficits they're continuing to spend like um you know well i mean if you can if, if you're france and you can borrow 10 year money at one and a quarter percent why not wow. so, you know there is no discipline on these governments but uh Money which is spent by governments is actually uh, economically destructive. Uh, It is not economically positive. They like to say, well, you know, we've got make-work programmes or whatever it is, or we're, you know we're we're bailing out the boys or whatever their 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 um, logic is. But the fact of the matter is that it is a cost on the economy and it is a cost on ordinary people. So this has been going on for a long time, Jay, and um it's only a matter of time before uh, economies start toppling over. they can't they they can't sustain that wealth transfer forever. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in Japan. We're beginning to see it happen in Europe. Uh, America is, um, is extraordinary because um, they've actually been in a slump. You may not know this, but you have been in a slump since the Lehman crisis. The only re- reason that um, people turn around and say, well, you know, we've got, we've got growth around the corner or whatever, is because they don't deflate the GDP number by nearly enough. I mean, mm-hmm. We are all aware of. I mean, I think some of us, anyway, are are aware of John Williams' work at Shadow Stats, and he consistently shows that uh, on uh, a nineteen eighties um, calculation basis, uh, the rate of inflation is has been in, in excess of five and six and seven percent uh, ever since the Lehman crisis, and sometimes right. up to ten percent. So that is actually the deflator that you should be considering yeah. um, in deflating the nominal GDP. Now, if you did that. You would have consistent negative GDP growth in real terms ever since the Lehman crisis, and uh, the, 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 if you if you want proof of this, just look at your workforce. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the the, the the unemployment numbers that come out every every week are completely meaningless. What really matters is that one third of your working population is not in work. Mm. That's a hell of a burden to bear. And it was last that uh, that level in the past when women stayed at home and um, did the cooking and you know yeah. and were mums, you know. Yes. Uh, and uh, that was a different society. We haven't had something like this. This is Depression era levels of unemployment, yeah. and uh, because the statistics are so corrupted, we just assume that actually it's not that bad. Right. So that's, that's that's basically the, uh, the reason, uh, I think, that uh, the global economies are in deep
2: financial trouble. So the, the most people don't see what you've just said, though, uh, Alistair, and I think part of it is because of the propaganda that is partially given to us through erroneous statistics. I mean, if you talk to common folks, there's very few people that believe that the 1% and 2% inflation or cost of living, they don't even use that terminology anymore. They used to when I was a young man long before 1980, they used to talk about what it costs to keep a family of four alive in America. You don't hear that sort of language anymore. You just hear about the inflation index or the CPI, which is a concocted, uh, you know, really concocted uh, uh, index. It has very little to do with the cost of living. I agree, and very few people, uh, common folks anyway, would would think that uh, the cost of living is only 1% or 2%. So what you're saying is that uh, the average middle class people are being stripped of their consumable income, essentially. I mean, their their cons- their ability to consume by this sort of silent tax, if, as you will. Though people don't see that. Uh, there is a reallocation of wealth, certainly to Wall Street, to the people that actually control the casino, if you will, the people that print the money and, and uh, concoct the... Uh, the, the trading devices, the algorithms, and so forth that are used to make huge amounts of money in short periods of time. But the average people simply seem to be oblivious to this, right? Is this why then, um, you know, the Keynesians have always said, all we need is animal spirits. All we need is to have people optimistic. So is part of the program here, Alistair, to keep people optimistic, to keep them down on the mushroom farm, so to speak, so that they just believe that things are better and they'll keep spending money? And how long can that go on, though? I like your analogy with the mushroom farm. <laughs> yeah, it's that's called a, fe- that's, fe- that's, feed that's a good one. Yeah, feed them um, fecal matter and keep them in the dark.
4: <laughs> yes, I wasn't good, quite going to go there, but I know what, I knew <laughs> instantly what you meant. Um, I mean, the, the the answer to your question is that yes, uh, the modern economists uh, in the central banks and elsewhere really do believe that confidence is the most important driver of uh, the economy, and uh, I. Th- think alan greenspan has said as much he said you know you've got to keep the stock market up otherwise um you know i mean that's the if the stock market goes up then people are confident and they're going to spend and uh you know that's fine for people who have bought into the stock market early on like the banks Mm -hmm. um But uh, it's not so fine for the people who are just now receiving this new money and wondering what to do with it. Oh, we better put it in stocks and shares because uh, they've gone up very, you know, gone up hugely. And we've got the man from Fidelity saying, um, you know, put some money in our mutual fund. You know, I mean, wonderful, but it's a bit late in the game. And this is the this is the trouble. This is what I mean about uh, the transfer of wealth, you know uh the, the money has already been made in, uh, in in bonds and equities and so on and so forth. Um, and it's too late for the average man, if you like, to catch up uh, by investing in those markets, unless you believe they're going to go on forever.
2: But, uh, you know, we've been there before, and it never does. Well, you you talk about the uh, central bankers being fearful right now of, of deflation, and then you talk about they sort of confuse the word deflation with an economic slump. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, the Keynesians, I just don't understand their thinking. I mean, I was brought up with a, as a Keynesian. Of course, we all were that took economics classes. But it seems to me that the notion that, um, uh, that balance sheets don't matter. You know, you're broke, but you should still be happy. You don't have enough money to put food on the table, but you should still have the animal spirits. You don't have enough money to pay your rent uh, or your mortgage, but you should still be happy. I mean, what kind of a nonsense religion is this Keynesianism?
4: Well, it's it 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 is a nonsense. Um, uh, you you raised the the, the word deflation. Um, I mean, deflation doesn't apply. It really doesn't. Uh, the reason that they've invented the term deflation is because it is they see it as the opposite of inflation. Now, inflation originally was an expansion in the quantity of money in the, mm-hmm. in, in in the economy, mm-hmm. not prices. Prices eventually rise as a result of that expansion, the inflation, if you like, of the currency. Uh, So what the Keynesians or what um, I suppose the press as much as anything have done is they have taken um, the opposite of that falling prices and called it deflation. It's not deflation. It's falling prices uh, for a number of potential reasons. Um, it could be that prices are falling because people have uh, increased their preference for holding cash mm-hmm. over buying goods. I mean, that can certainly happen. Um, it could also be that uh, there is an increased confidence uh, in the currency that its purchasing power is going to rise. In other words, people won't just uh, you know, reflect what's happened, but they will... Anticipate what's going to happen. Uh, and this is something certainly that has worried the Keynes- Keynesians, but they've taken it to, to a ridiculous degree. They believe that any fall in prices is enough to trigger uh, complete pessimism uh, in consumers and get them to defer all their purchases forever. I mean, it's, it's, as, as, a, as a proposition, it's, it's plainly ridiculous. Otherwise, no flat screen televisions would ever have been sold. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we know, we know that's, that's, that's not the case. Um, I like to think in terms of um, uh, whether the economy is progressing or, or not. And, uh, I mean, you could say it's regressing, but regressing is a very ugly word. And I think either it is progressing, in other words, it is moving forward. We are managing to buy what we want. We are improving our standard of living. Mm-hmm. We are making things that people actually want to buy, and they are buying them. Um, the people who get it wrong are allowed to um, fail and uh, move their capital resources into something which the market actually does want. That is a healthy economy. An economy which is unhealthy is one which doesn't have those characteristics, uh, and that is roughly what we have at the moment. We not progressing, um, except in certain areas. I mean, it's not, it's, 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 it's not everywhere that, that the world is in a slump or one's own economy is in a slump. Um, but in general terms, it is true to say that people's standard of living is not going forward, and if anything, for the vast majority of them, it's, they're probably going backwards. Now, that to me is a slump. You cannot right. quantify it mathematically. You can only describe the
2: situation as it actually is. Right. Well, you talked about the preference for holding cash as opposed to spending, and you, you, know, you gave two reasons for it. it. It seemed to me that the vast majority of Americans are having a preference for holding cash, not because they like looking at their dollar bills, but rather because they don't have enough money to make ends meet. So they have to say they can't spend beyond what they have to have for their bare necessities. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would agree with that, and I would add another factor, and that is debt overload. Uh, the mm-hmm. level
4: of, of of debt in the economy is uh, absolutely enormous, and it is a great disincentive, if you like, uh, towards further spending until people sort out their own basic finances. Um, this can change a little bit. It can change a little bit as people get used to the very high levels of debt, and they sort of begin to think, well, you know, damn it let's go and buy a new car <laughs> or, yeah. or whatever it is yeah, you know, what the they, hell. Yeah. You, know the, you do you do get used to a level but the problem is that every uh, business cycle the level of debt in the private sector has ratcheted up and ratcheted up and ratcheted up and what you're looking at when you you know when you fly over to new york and you see you know people you see them you know with this gadget that gadget and nice buildings and all the rest of it, what you're not seeing, you're seeing the assets, you're not seeing the debt behind it. Uh, And the economy in America is basically debt laden. And that is a great disincentive to anyone running out and deciding to spend more
2: what could change this alistair now uh, if you know you, you point out in your essay that uh, people that are not in such need uh, for meeting everyday's uh, living needs uh, might suddenly start to look at the uh, at the currency differently might start to think that maybe they shouldn't continue to hang on to their dollars and start to trade them in for stuff for real things for for gold and other things
4: yes uh, the, the reason for this is that uh, when we hit a slump uh, the welfare uh, indebted states have an enormous rise in their their uh, budget budget expenses and the result is that government deficits just rocket out of control so uh, if you look at uh, let's say the us treasury market uh, and you see that the U.S. economy is going into a slump and uh, the government is going to have to borrow one and a half trillion or whatever the figure is that you you come up with, you suddenly begin to think, well, at what uh, level of yield in the bond market am I as an individual prepared to finance this debt? Now, I bet it's not 2% for 10 years, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you see what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And you've then got another factor because um, if you're looking at this in the United States, the United States is the... Um, if you like it is it is the well your currency the dollar currency is the basis for all other currencies Mm -hmm. i know currencies float against it but the dollar is the reserve currency so all uh, government bonds should be priced theoretically anyway against u.s government debt now Mm -hmm. we have a situation where we've got a backwardation between uh, uh, the yields on government debt in countries like france um uh, Italy and Spain compared mm-hmm. with america uh, now um, this is this is plainly nonsense um it would i mean in the case of Germany, you can make an argument you can say that Germany um, has more wealth, it has more stability mm-hmm. it has less less debt gearing than America. And on that basis, uh, there is a premium, if you like, for an investor in holding um, uh, bond debt. In other Mm -hmm. words, he is prepared to accept a lower yield than he would accept on, let's say, the equivalent US Treasury. But you cannot apply that argument, say, to Italian debt, nor can you apply it to French debt. So, Um, There is a backwardation in the market. The markets are horrendously mispriced. We've now got to think about the consequences of the markets uh, dealing with that mispricing. Now, if you get a substantial fall in bond prices in Europe, it is going to threaten the survivability of some very major banks. And I think that if you get a rise in government yields of somewhere between 1% and, and 2%, it could actually destabilise the eurozone banking system. This That's is a incredible. very, very. This is a very frightening situation we're in. Um, the reason it's so bad is because of two things. Firstly, the overall level of debt, and therefore the escalation of new debt, um, uh, in the case of a slump, uh, is uh, without precedent. And the second problem we have is that the eurozone banks, some of them and some of the key banks, are very highly geared. Uh, I kid you not, 40, 50 times, um, yeah. uh, uh, shareholders' uh, equity, uh, once you've stripped the goodwill out of it, because good, goodwill is, is forget forget that as a balance sheet item. But you, So you can see there is very high gearing, and it's not going to take very much of a rise in um, the yields on government debt to undermine these banks. So suddenly... You can, you, you know, where you don't have a slump, we can continue on kicking the can down the road and we don't have to worry about it. But where you've got a slump now developing, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely in, in, in Japan uh, it's It's coming in Europe I mean we 're seeing it in europe um, it 's always been in America, but uh, you know you 've understated the deflator. The same is true of the u k by the way. Mm-hmm. There comes a point where we cannot extend and pretend anymore and uh the whole the whole global economy starts going down the tubes. And we're not even talking about um, instability that might come from the emerging markets, particularly China, which has had the most enormous increase in the quantity of bank credit over the last four or five years. Uh, And that is potentially destabilizing. But putting that to one side, the fact that we have these welfare commitments means that we cannot afford to have a slump. Yet it looks inevitable that we are heading towards it. Why? Because we have taxed the ordinary man on Main Street to subsidize the banks on Wall Street. It's a a very sad fact, which is not understood by Keynesian economists. No. And I'm afraid their lack of understanding is is the undoing of us all. All
2: right, so what do we do? Uh, 30 seconds, what what is your solution?
4: Well, uh, I said that the reserve currency is the dollar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the dollar is 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 not strong. The, it's just that other currencies are weaker. Um, and I think that uh, uh, there, there are huge, huge reservoirs of international money. I mean, the, the number of billionaires with cash and all the rest of it, uh, sovereign wealth funds and so on, there are very, very big pockets of money that are likely to move uh, to try and avoid getting wiped out in any carnage. And uh, I think on that basis, there is only one investment, which uh, is remember. from all this and untouched by it uh, and that is gold
2: well I've heard that story before I tend to believe it that's uh, one of the reasons you're on this show but uh, we like to get the logic behind it Alistair and I want to thank you very much unfortunately we are out of time it goes so fast always with you thank you very much for your insights always a pleasure talking to you and I hope we can have you back again sometime in the near future
4: now, that was very much my
2: pleasure, Jay. Thank you. So thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away. We're going to go to commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to be with Rick Rule and John Shimpalia, uh of Sprott, uh Inc., and uh, both of those gentlemen, we're looking forward to hearing what they have to say about preparing for the difficult days that may f- lie ahead of us. So don't go away. We'll be right back.
3: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.
0: Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, all five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TSXV and CTNXF on the OTC. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, I'm really pleased uh, to have with me John Schimpaglia uh, I should say. My uh, Italian isn't very good, but it's John Chimpala, uh who heads up the uh, what I think is a very exciting new product from Sprot mine uh, Sprott Inc. It's called... Uh, the Sprott Gold Miners ETF it trades in the United States under the symbol SGDM. Uh, Rick Rule is uh, supposed to be joining us. We don't have him online yet, but we uh, hopefully will. He will be joining us. Uh, Rick has been with us a number of times in the past, uh, and so he's well known to this uh, to this audience. And. Uh, But just a little bit of a background uh, on John. Um, John uh, has been in the past, has worked uh, as a chief operating officer. Uh, He is there now as a chief chief operating officer at Sprott uh, handling the the Sprott gold miners ETF. Uh, He joined Sprott in April 2010. Uh, he has had 18 years of experience in the investment industry. Previously, he was Senior Vice President Product Development at Invesco Trimark, where he was responsible for overseeing the product development function across multiple product lines and distribution channels. He also played a key role in initiating and leading the implementation of various strategic initiatives for that firm. And prior to joining Invesco Trimark, uh, he spent four years at TD uh, Asset Management. Uh, where he held progressively senior product uh, management and research roles. And uh, so he has a a lot of experience in the financial markets and and very well geared, I think, to doing uh, what he is doing at Sprott, and that is uh, heading up the Sprott Gold Miners ETF. Welcome, John. It's really good to have you with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's really, uh, really. It was a pleasure meeting up with you and your team uh, up there at Sprott a, a few weeks back. Uh, it was uh, a very enlightening experience. I, you know, we've I've known Sprott as a name uh, in the gold mining sector in the resource sector for many years. I just hadn't uh, really an understanding of the depth of management talent that uh, that is up there. And indeed, this is a, a new product that Sprott has brought on. It seems to me one that uh, that fits very well with the Sprott uh, with the Sprott. Background, given all the experience that the Sprott team has had in terms of investing in the junior mining sector over the years, talk to us a little bit about your new product, the Sprott Miners Gold Miners ETF. It, I'm taking that it's not a levered ETF; it's a straight ETF, right? It's not. Yeah, that's right.
5: It's an an open-ended fund, and it's uh, investing in uh, senior gold miners and. The genesis for this idea really came from our active management um, with our mutual funds and hedge funds, mm-hmm. where from time to time our fund managers would buy different gold miner ETFs, and they did that as a as a as a way to equitize cash or you know park cash mm-hmm. for a short period of time. Sure. In a basket of different gold stocks, and you know we would do that because it was convenient, um, but. Really, the funds that were available to us, we were not enamored with, and the reason why we were not enamored with them was because they're, they often hold companies based on one factor, and we can't, we, we refer to these as first you know generation uh, ETFs, which means mm-hmm. the factor that drives the the weighting of a company in the index is really its market capitalization. So right. you take the number of shares outstanding. In a company, you multiply it by its current share price, and that largely derives the weight. To us, it's, it's based on quantity. And, you know, as active managers, uh, traditionally, you know, we try to focus on quality, and there's so many gold companies out there, and, you know, as Rick will often say, there are lots of lousy gold companies out there. So, we really wanted to change that paradigm and ask ourselves, you know, is there a better way to come up with an index methodology that makes more sense to us as gold investors. So we started to, to do a lot of analytical work and, and testing to try to come up with an alternative methodology. And after many months of, of, uh, of, of research and testing, we came up with something that's called the Sprott-Zachs Gold Miners Index. And that's the index that this ETF is, is designed to track. Mm-hmm. Um, and we take a very different approach uh, with this methodology. We try to focus on quality over co- co- uh, quantity, and what that really means is we 're looking for individual company factors that determine if a company should be included in the index
2: and then what its respective weight should be so it 's a very different mm-hmm. methodology mm-hmm. all right now um, do you have uh, is there a minimum size? Um that you're looking for in terms of market cap? I mean, you're not taking a lot of illiquid little companies, I'm sure. Uh, as I noted, I think you have something like 25 stocks in your index or something like that. Uh, so right. you must be looking. I think you mentioned your large cap. Yeah, uh, we're, we're trying to here.
5: focus on the, on the larger producers, um, generally in the $1 billion market cap uh, range and up. Um, we also look for certain liquidity parameters, which means there has to be sufficient... Uh, float in the market and a- average daily trading volume. The one thing about ETFs that people should understand is if you, if you type in the symbol of an ETF and you say, oh, well, there's only 5,000 shares traded today, um, that's not indicative of the liquidity of the ETF. The liquidity of any ETF is really driven by the liquidity of the underlying constituents, mm-hmm. and that's really important. So when you're building an index, you have to make sure it's investable. Um, so we look for these these liquidity screens and market cap thresholds. We're really trying to provide people with a basket of of the the
2: more senior miners. Mm-hmm. And you started the fund, I believe, only in May of this year. Is that right? Actually, mid July. Uh, mid July. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I guess so. It's really too early to to have any sort of to sort of judge how you're doing. Is there any criteria that people can look at at this early stage? Yeah. Well, sure. The, I mean, the the one thing that people uh, Enjoy about ETFs is the transparency sure
5: um, unlike a mutual fund where you know maybe you see the top ten holdings every month or the the full holdings are shown to you every every six months with uh, you know one or two months um, lag uh, the thing about ETFs that people find attractive is that every day you can go to a website and you can see every single holding in the portfolio and its weight so in terms of the transparency of the holdings each day um, you can find all of that online in terms of the transparency of the methodology meaning what are the rules that determine how the index is constructed and and maintained that's completely uh transparent as well and um so you know you can there is a short term track record obviously um, you know uh, it's it's obviously very short period of time to gauge but i think what people can look at and say well you know how is your index different and you know, you can see that in a very short period of time, there are definitely periods where it's, you know, behaving differently than some of the other uh, popular uh, indexes that are available in the marketplace. And so that, to us, that's a sign that, you know, the, the weighting methodology that we have built, which is focused on uh, stocks with very high beta to gold, because mm-hmm. our belief is people buy gold stocks because they're trying to get exposure to gold. Sure. And if you think gold is going up, then you want to get this kind of levered exposure to a, riding, a rising price. So we look for stocks that have high historical beta to gold. Uh, that determines our universe of 25 stocks. Mm-hmm. Then once we have that universe, we apply a two-factor model. Uh, and we look at revenue growth of a company. We want to know, is, is that mining company pulling, you know, more ounces out of the ground each quarter? Because at the end of the day, revenue growth is a really good indication of, of whether the mine is working and whether the stuff is coming out of the ground mm-hmm. um, junior miners, smaller cap uh, miners you know often those are uh, discovery plays or exploration plays and provide a lot of optionality on gold but with a producer you know we need to have reserves but we really want to see hard evidence that uh, these companies are pulling. You know, pulling it out of the ground. Sure. You know, we look at the uh, revenue growth on a year-over-year basis. We're looking for positive changes there. Um, the second thing that's important in our mind with with our index is leverage. And you know, with many industries, we've seen good companies get into trouble by overextending their balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's it's taking on too much debt for acquisitions that may not always work out. Um, or, you know, whether they're in a downturn in the sector and, you know, shares are, are, are very cheaply valued so they opt to, you know, go the route of, of adding debt to their balance sheets versus uh, issuing more equity. We just find that companies that um, uh, have lower levels of leverage are usually better quality companies. Uh, obviously their, their interest payments are much lower so the profitability tends to be higher. Um, they tend to have much more flexibility in terms of getting a mine to ultimate production and weathering downturns and you know gold mining is a very cyclical business it 's very capital intensive, uh, and we want to see companies that have that financial strength to weather those downturns so we look at those two factors and we basically award or reward companies that have better relative revenue growth and, and, and stronger relative balance sheets. And we basically penalize companies that don't have those attributes. Mm -hmm. And the other interesting aspect about our index is that we rebalance it every quarter. So what that does is it forces us to go to the marketplace, collect all the latest financial information about those companies that is available with respect to its all, you know, their, their quarterly revenue numbers that they've, they've announced their um, their debt levels and we basically rerun the model. So if a company starts to fall uh down in the scoring, well then it either gets eliminated out of the out of the model altogether uh or it'll be it'll be reduced. Mm-hmm. Um, we think that's important to have mm-hmm. a dynamic process that's you know taking the latest
2: inputs into the into the into the methodology. Okay, and so are you? Are you suggesting that probably the other ETFs out there just simply look at uh, look at market cap, and that's the primary way—the market cap, the largest market cap gold producers. Yeah, I mean, one of the most popular, you know, uh, gold miners ETFs
5: out there um, doesn't look at the company factors; it's largely looking at the liquidity liquidity Mm -hmm. constraints um, and um, market cap. to to largely determine the weights in that index, so there's nothing wrong with doing that. But in our mind, we think that our approach is makes more sense to us as as managers that have been involved in, in with gold miners for many many years. Yeah. I think the other thing that we've noticed is that uh, m- the volume on 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 some of those ETFs out in the marketplace is extraordinarily high. And mm-hmm. just to give you an example. Um, There's one fund out in the marketplace that, you know, there. it's not uncommon to have days where a billion dollars of market value trade in a single day. And you just kind of wonder who's trading these ETFs every day.
1: Um,
5: And our conclusion is that it's a lot of, you know, program trading and high frequency traders. Mm -hmm. To us, that doesn't really feel like uh, investing. Investing, exactly. It's not, yeah. it's not ideally suited for someone that's got a, a, a call or a belief that they want to allocate a certain portion of their portfolio in gold miners. Um, it, to us, it just seems like a lot of noise is going on with, with, with yeah. some of those products.
2: Like a gambling casino, almost rather than well, an investing uh, approach. You're right. I mean, some of those products
5: um, are are almost designed like a you know daily casino where people are just in and
2: out all day. Um, Especially the investing. leveraged ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to ask you, do you, um, well? First of all, the exact website that people should go to. I guess they can find you if they go to Sprott Inc. Um, yeah, so yeah. that they can track these, uh, you know, follow what you're saying and, and do some research on your fund. Yeah, the best place to get some information would would be to go to SprottETFs dot com, mm-hmm.
5: and okay. there you'd be able to find all the information, including the prospectus, uh, which has all the details um, and uh, the holdings and the management fee.
2: Sure, uh, that's the best place to get information. Do you have any non producers? Do you have exploration companies, or is it? Or do you, do you just stick with producers completely?
5: Um, it is possible that some smaller uh, cap companies who are still kind of pre-production, um, they could sneak into that index. So we don't screen exclusively producers versus non-producers. Uh, but if you look at the index weights today, um, some of the largest holdings uh, would include Franco-Nevada. It's our largest holding in the index right now. Uh, we, we have a large position in that because we... We, we, we think the company is well-positioned because it has no debt, um, which we like and in the model, and also its revenue growth has been better on a relative basis versus some of the other you know traditional mining stocks. So we do have a number of, of royalty or streaming companies represented in the index right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Silver Wheaton is in the index. Uh, Royal Gold is in
2: the index, which is uh, another, another company in that, yeah. in that uh, space. Um, excellent companies I I'm told uh, John that Rick has joined us here okay. now. Uh, Rick, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Rick, I hear you loud and clear. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, I I don't know how much of uh, what John has said you've been listening to, but uh uh go ahead John, you, you finished the thought that you were you were Sure. On. Yeah, no, I was just saying uh, our second largest holding right now is Randgold. Our
5: third uh largest holding is Gold corp and the fifth is Eldorado Gold. So um, these are the companies that the model is telling us uh, have scored the best in terms of their their debt positions and their their revenue growth uh, mm-hmm. numbers. So those are the those are the companies that the model is favoring. On the flip side, a company like Barrick Gold, which is well represented in in some of the market cap weighted uh, funds out there, is a relatively small weighting in our index uh, at about four um, percent, and and that's because it has a very high debt level. Uh, relative to its equity, and its production profile is, has been fairly uh, weak relative to some of its um, its peers. So the model mm-hmm. basically penalizes uh, that particular company and says, you know, weight that company less because it's not doing as well based on the mm-hmm. on the metrics.
2: Well, the uh, methodology certainly makes sense to me. You're a much more proactive manager of your ETF than than the other ones uh, seem to be, and, and that appeals to me, and the logic seems very solid and very sound. I guess what probably our listeners are wanting to know is, how long are they going to have to wait before we start to see uh, GDX, or no, I'm sorry, your, your fund, uh, that is... Um, Geez, I'm losing the I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, uh, the Sprott Gold Miners Fund take off. SGDM is the symbol. Sorry about that, uh, Rick. You know when you and I talked recently, you and I are of age that we can remember the last great bull market in gold, and you recalled the time gold went from thirty five dollars to two hundred, fell back to a hundred, and then took off for eight hundred and fifty dollars. And you were uh, a year ago or so suggesting that we were about now we're we're you know where you and I were a couple of decades back when gold went to one hundred, and uh, supposing that we might be nearing that time period when we start to see uh, have some fun in this business again on the upside, uh, do you think we 're there yet uh, it 's very, very,
6: very difficult to call absolute tops and absolute bottoms. Uh, I remember reading that Bernard Baruch said the only person that ever could call tops and bottoms was a liar, and I certainly <laughs> aspire to be a liar. But it's interesting if you think about uh, 1975 when that 50% drop that you described took place, or 2000 when the gold price fell all the way down to $262, or now, there are some very eerie similarities, Jay. Uh, All of them had to do with blow-off tops in the U.S. dollar, as an example. All of them had to do with pretty – frothy speculative or technology markets Mm -hmm. uh, which we're certainly seeing now i'm not trying to say that past is prologue necessarily uh, but i certainly see this market as being attractive i I realize that you're asking me next week or the week after the week after that and i'm old enough and smart enough not to answer that question directly (laughs) Uh, I i can just tell you the, you know, the whole narrative that was in place, Jay, in 2010 uh, when everybody thought gold was going higher uh, is in place today, uh, but gold is cheaper. The mm-hmm. suspicion then was that uh, the financial services industry on a global basis was over-leveraged. It is. That the U.S., on balance sheet liabilities at $15.5 trillion were unsustainable. I don't know why they're more sustainable now at $18 trillion. That uh, political liberalization in frontier markets, particularly in places like China and India, would lead to increased savings in societies with uh, great familiarity with gold and silver and would, it, it would hence advance demand for gold and silver. Yeah. All of those circumstances, all of that narrative is as true today as it was in 2000, mm-hmm. or pardon me, 2010, the difficulty, the, the difference, pardon me, is that gold has fallen in price from eighteen or nineteen hundred dollars to twelve hundred dollars. So, if the narrative is in place, but the material is forty percent less expensive, I would think that that's a good thing, not a bad
2: thing. Yeah. Amen to that. I, I certainly agree with you. Although uh, the the animal spirits, to use a Keynesian term, uh, is, are not uh, what they were when gold was at eighteen hundred or nineteen hundred dollars. But uh, but I successful investors like uh, like you, Rick, are able to set aside the animal spirits, uh, this the spiritual realm, if you will, and and join the real the real world. Uh, and do very, very well. So I uh, thank you very much for that commentary. I, my engineer is telling me we're almost out of time. I wonder, uh, any maybe, John, you could just tell us why, what then, if you could just summarize, what sets you apart from the other ETFs? If you could give us a 30-second answer on that, that would be great. Sure. Well, I think uh, you know, our index is just a more thoughtful
5: uh, way to go about uh, indexing gold miner companies. And Uh, As Rick always says, it's it's there's lots and lots of companies out there that uh, you should take a pass on. Mm -hmm. Our our index methodology is really trying to uh, identify the companies that we think have more investment merit by using these factors that we've identified, Um, and and that's I think the key reason someone should should think about our fund uh, if they're interested in something that's got more of a thoughtful uh, process behind it in terms of picking the picking the stocks and reweighting the
2: stocks over time for them very good well thank you very much uh, john and thank you rick for for joining me today and folks it's uh, the symbol is sgdm go to Sproutetf.com to learn more about this fund and i i expect to be tracking it uh in my own newsletter in the uh in the future and commenting on it from time to time on this show i want to thank both of you for being with me again and i i hope we can do it again sometime in the near future thank you both of you thank you jay Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Well, folks, uh, that's all there is for the first hour of today, but there will be a second hour at jtaylormedia.com. Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will be with me, and I'll be going over some of Dr. Robert McHugh's views of the market. McHugh thinks we are ready for a major decline in equities, and he is also turning very bullish on gold. So uh, I'm sure you won't want to miss that. Go immediately to jtaylormedia.com to listen to the second hour of today's show.
3: Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt.